have a Bible or you have a phone, uh, pull up Hebrews chapter 13. My name is Joe. If I haven't met you yet, I am one of the pastors here. Welcome to a beautiful spring day in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Let me pray and then we're going to jump in to the message this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you that you use days like this, Sundays like this, to completely change courses of lives and entire trajectories of generations at times as you reveal yourself and you grip and you grab a hold of the most unexpected, unlikely people. And you've been doing it for century after century. Lord, we ask that today would be no different. We pray you would reveal yourself in power. We pray lives would be shaped and changed and transformed. And we pray most of all that you would be honored and glorified. I ask for your help as I preach your word this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we are in Hebrews 13. We are in the final chapter of the book of Hebrews. And if this is your first Sunday, try to catch you up to speed. The book of Hebrews is a letter, but a a lot of scholars think it's really a a sermon that's been written down. So it really reads like a sermon. And last week, Jason pointed out in chapter 12 that uh, the, the preacher, the writer of the book of Hebrews, was landing the plane. He saw the runway and he was bringing the letter or the sermon to a close. And that's where we're going to um, pick up today because what you're going to see is what this last chapter, uh, he's like unloading everything that was on his heart and mind for the people. And so if you're into boxing, his style is not like one big knockout punch, but he's just pop, 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 jab after jab after jab. And that's what we're going to experience today as you go through, as we go through chapter 13 together. To set us up, though, since he's been landing the plane since chapter 12, I want to read two verses from last week that will set us up for this week. And just so no one panics, uh, normally we're pretty safe. We usually have three points, maybe four points. This is a 10-point sermon, but, but, and I'm not joking, um, but, it's, but go back to the boxing ring. They're jabs. It's just pop, 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 pop. So it's going to be really quick because that's the way he is approaching. So don't panic. You will eat lunch today. We're just going to go through and experience uh, the pastor pastoring us this morning through chapter 13. But to, to set us up, look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He's talking about the spiritual journey of following Jesus. And that's why the title today is Learning to Run with Endurance. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endure the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he's going to help us. He's going to give us a lot of practical instruction of how to run this Christian race with endurance. 
Raise your hand if you've ever been to a chiropractor before. Okay, so many of us in this room have been to a chiropractor. There have been times where I have all but crawled into a chiropractor's office because I'm in so much pain. Um, but then there are other times you just go and it's just like a maintenance routine. Well, the reason I'm saying that is because this sermon is going to feel in many ways like a chiropractic visit. Um, if, you're, if you're mobile and you're, your body's functioning well and you're spiritually healthy, it'll just be like a, a mild adjustment. If you're way out of whack spiritually, it's going to hurt a little bit more. But remember the goal, like going to the chiropractor, is the most severe adjustment is to get us functioning in a healthy way. That's what this author is trying to do. He wants us to function in a healthy way. If you were here last Sunday, you remember that um, as Jason preached, he, he told the, the true story of the expedition that he and his daughter Stella, who was 13 at the time, um, hiked up a place called Half Dome. So if we could have the picture of Half Dome in uh, Yosemite. Uh, he, he talked about this and he was using it as like a metaphor for the, the Christian life. What, what I didn't realize as he talked about it, um, he kind of undersold it, I thought, because he said, oh, I'm not athletic. If you research this hike at all, um, it's very dangerous. It's, it's, you're, you're climbing lots of feet of elevation. That very steep part, 20 people have died trying to hike up that steep part. And that steep part is lined with cables on either side and planks so you can have your, get your footing. So it is not an easy thing. And a lot of times people, when they go out on this journey, I watched a little video about it um, this week, they, they, they make a number of mistakes. One is their footwear. They have the wrong shoes. They wear, wear sneakers. The other is they're not physically fit enough to go. Another is they are dehydrated because they have not brought enough water or they are undernourished, they haven't brought enough food. So it is a big deal to hike that hike. And Jason said last week, you can show the next slide, um, in order to do it, they, they had a backpack of supplies. So they came prepared. They did their homework. They researched it. They were ready to go. And as you can see, it's a little hard to see now, but as you're going up the rock, there are actually cables on either side to help traverse up Half Dome. To hike on Half Dome is a dangerous journey, without a doubt. Now, there are ways to prepare for that danger that make it less dangerous, but nonetheless, it is filled with danger. So they came prepared. They had backpacks. They took rest when they needed. They had supplies. They were with each other for encouragement. And they made it up and they made it down. So can we give Jason and Stella a round of applause for doing that? <laughs> That's no small thing. This happened several years ago. I remember Jason saying that certain family members were very concerned about it. I was like, oh, I wonder why they're concerned. After watching the video from the National Park Service, I know why you guys were concerned. It was a big deal. Well, I want you to imagine that they're hiking and they have their supplies and they're both wearing their backpacks and it has food and some first aid stuff and other safety supplies. Imagine if they stopped and they're, they're, they're feeling like really weighed down and really heavy by this backpack and they go to get out some of the supplies. They look inside the bag and there are bricks and rocks that people, unbeknownst to them, have put in their backpack. So they're, they're, they're carrying stuff that's unnecessary for this dangerous journey and actually makes the journey all the more dangerous. So they look in the pack and then they throw out 
the rocks and the bricks that, they, that are of no use at all. Well, I want you to have that image because as our pastor in Hebrews 13 is going to pastor us, he's gonna help us get some of these bricks out of our backpack. He's gonna give us a good counsel on how to navigate this dangerous journey of following Jesus in a way that is going to be the most helpful, freeing, fruitful journey that we could go on. And we're gonna do all that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know what you're all thinking. 10 points, and he hasn't even gotten to number one yet. <laughs> I heard your minds there. All right, number one, endure with love. How do we run this race of endurance? First thing we do, we endure with love. Look at verse one. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. If you look up this passage in Greek, that phrase for brotherly love is literally Philadelphia. So Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, it's taken from the Greek word from this passage, let brotherly love continue. So one key of navigating this dangerous journey is that believers in Jesus show love to one another, particularly a familial kind of love, a family love, a, a, a love that you have reserved for your blood. That's the kind of love that God's people are intended to have. Remember that the people that were receiving this letter, they've gone through a lot of hardship, um, a lot of persecution, a lot of difficulty. And he's calling them and reminding them, look out for one another. I mean, think of that image we saw of all those people lined up. So we are on this dangerous journey together and we are to be motivated by love for one another. We don't want to leave anybody behind on this journey. Look at verse 2 here. It says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. We're going to go to point two. I told you I'd go fast. Endure with hospitality. So brotherly love, Philadelphia, is a love for one another. Now he's going to call us to another kind of love in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those in prison as, those in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Does anybody know the word for fear of strangers? Say it loud. Xenophobia. Well, in this passage, it literally, you know how it's Philadelphia? It's philazena. Basically, rather than fear of strangers, it's love of strangers. So God calls his people on this dangerous journey to be big-hearted toward all people, particularly those we do not know. All people, all sorts, all walks of life, we are to have a big-hearted, open response to bring them in, in love. And we do that because we've been recipients of undeserved love. And then in verse 3, he says... Remember those who are in prison. And, and remember 
that word, that, that's not a word that kind of grips me when I read it, but the idea of that word remember is this, this strength. Be moved with compassion for those who are in prison as, as, those, as though in prison with them. Be so filled with love and compassion for those who are in prison like you're right in the cell beside them. And same thing for those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So I think in context, he talks at the end of the letter about Timothy sounds like just got out of prison. It it seems to have in mind those who are in prison for the faith. But I don't think it's a stretch. I think it's a, a, a right application to be moved with compassion to, to people that are in prison. We have a state prison within seven miles of our location right now, and we have a county prison. And so we want to be moved with compassion because we have been recipients of undeserved love and compassion. Remember this verse. Romans fifteen seven says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We're to welcome one another like we've been welcomed. I remember how I was welcomed. I came to IUP. I didn't know the Lord. I came because I didn't want to get a job. I came to to party. That's why I came to IUP. And the Lord saved me and revealed himself to me and welcomed messy me totally undeserved. Nothing in me was worthy of redemption other than I was created in the image of the Lord. I rebelled against the living God and he welcomed me through his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we're to be towards others. And for those who are mistreated, particularly those who are mistreated for the faith, we're to be moved with compassion. Maybe something to check out on your own today or, or sometime this week is the Voice of a Martyrs um, website. We'll just show you brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout the world who are suffering for persecution. I don't know about you, but right now in the age we live in with, with just so much access to information, it is really hard to get our minds around even one legitimate suffering population, whether it's people in a particular country, maybe it's even being moved to pray for Ukraine right now, whatever it would be, because you go from that to, at least on my Instagram feed, to cows dancing in a field, to music. It's just so hard to get our hearts and minds around um, meaningful things. And there's nothing wrong with cows dancing in a field. Thank you, Andy. We share a love for cows dancing in a field. But you get the point. It's, it's, it's getting our minds and our hearts around things that the Lord wants us to think about. And so maybe if you're like me, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Just pray and pick one area that the Lord would have you invest and pray and maybe even give to and and help in a, a tangible way. So endure with hospitality. Number three, endure with purity. See, he's just hitting subjects, the author right now. He wants to get our attention. Look at verse four. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
So a heavy weight that can be in that backpack is sexual sin and immorality. That is not a, not a, not a sin that the Lord can't forgive. It's not a sin that the Lord can't bring freedom to, but it's one that we need to own and confess. And it's one where we need to be shaped by God's word, not by our desires or the culture that we live in. I mentioned that I met the Lord as a 19-year-old. Everything I'm about to say, or not everything, but some of the big things that are in this section in verse 4, I would not have believed before I was a Christian. Once Jesus became my Lord and King, I submitted to his word. And I saw his word and his boundaries for sexuality were, were a good gift intended as a blessing to followers of Jesus. But obviously we live in a time where, where the things that I'm about to say are not, not culturally popular, but they are biblical. And remember, before we think about specifics of what, what's God allowed, what's God not allowed, this is not at all, first and foremost, political. It's theological, meaning there's a God in heaven who made everything, who's the boss, he's in charge, and he's good, and he's kind, and he's holy, and he puts certain parameters in place for the good of his creation, particularly for us who are human. In our doctrinal positions, in our statement of faith, we have um, a section just talks about sexual morality and immorality. And I just want to read it, and it's based on the, the whole counsel of Scripture on this subject. And here's what, what it says. Any sexual activity outside of the boundaries of the sacred marital relationship between one man and one woman is clearly and expressly prohibited by the Lord. Consequently, we, we regard from Scripture any and all forms of sexual immorality, as sinful. So anything outside of those bounds of marriage between a man and a woman. Consequently, we regard any and all forms of sexual immorality as sinful. That includes adultery, fornication, homosexual behavior, bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, pedophilia, pornography, or even lustful intent toward such. There's different ways to hear this. Hear this as God's boundaries for a people that he loves, a people that he cares for, a people that he intends good for. And this is not a political statement. It is a theological statement that God is in charge and he's kind and he's good. And we as followers of Jesus, when we submit to him, we submit to his word. And we do it in faith. And we may have desires that are forbidden in Scripture. And we confess those desires. We ask the Lord to forgive us if we've acted on those desires. And we, we believe that we will be most joyful when we are in full submission to King Jesus in all areas of our lives. So submit. Pursue purity. This, 
this category weighs down Christians, I would say, like none other. And do it. We, da, 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 da. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you walk through this, I know this is a hard subject. As you walk through it, do it in community with people you trust. Bring them into it. This is not theoretical for me. This is stuff I had to work through, particularly in my early years of following Jesus and submitting to his word. And it's not just, are you doing this or you're not doing this, but are you encouraging others to do things that God forbids? See, we don't want to be responsible for that either. Jesus is a savior of all sorts of sinners who've done all sorts of sins. So it's not even one is greater than the other. We are a messy lot as humans. And Jesus came to rescue us. So if you have more questions about that, we would be happy to talk through those things with you and pray for you. Number four, totally switching subjects. Endure with contentment and generosity. He's going he's gonna to switch subjects, but he's aiming at the human heart. And another big snare of the human heart is the love of money. Look at verse five. Remember, we're at a chiropractic visit, so the chiropractor's pushing hard right now. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me. One way to endure in this dangerous journey is to be content with your lot in life. What the Lord provides, what he calls you to do, what, what limits of finances or any other kind of limits he puts on your life, and really find your joy and satisfaction in Jesus alone. I want to read a familiar verse on contentment. When the Apostle Paul wrote this, he did not write this for powerlifters. It's fine if powerlifters like to use this verse, particularly 13, but you'll see what I mean in a moment. But the, the point of the verse is contentment. And it is miraculous, is a work of the Holy Spirit. If we can be content in what God has given us and what he hasn't given us. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the powerlifter verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context is contentment. I can be content in the Lord who strengthens me. And if you get your heart and mind around that, that means you can be free in Jesus with very little or abundance because your contentment, your joy is found in him alone. The famous British preacher of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, said this about the subject of contentment. I've heard of some good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. A little piece of bread, a little bit of water. 
Lifting up her hands, she said as a blessing, what, all of this and Christ too? I have eternal life in Jesus and bread and water? See, if you find your joy and satisfaction in Jesus, who is the only one who can satisfy you, you will be content in him. So he wants us to be content and generous. One remedy, if, if you feel like you're gripping onto particularly material things too much, a remedy against that is to be generous. To be generous with your time, to be generous with your money, to be generous with your resources, to hold um, the things that God has provided for you loosely and, and to be generous with that. Go out of your way to make time for others. Avoid the, the pitfall of trying to, to acquire wealth quickly. You might have noticed that, that gambling, the gambling laws have changed, and so that's the reason there are so many commercials right now. And the appeal is, you just do this, you, you'll get money like that. The remedy for the love of money is love for the Lord. The two are, you can't love God and money at the same time. They fight against each other. They are mutually exclusive. So one way to combat that is to be content with what God has given you and to be generous with what God has given you. Number six, endure with sound doctrine. Write thoughts about Jesus who he is, what he's done for you, the fact that he is our once for all payment for sin. Look at verses nine and following. Do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So in their context, there was debate over what kind of foods they could eat and how that affected them spiritually. And, and so he's addressing that. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice of sin are burned outside of the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. In other words, when Jesus was crucified, he was outside of Jerusalem proper. He was outside of the gate, suffering shame, rejection for us. He did that for us. He, he endured it for us. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. To be a follower of Jesus in our day and age, is definitely going to come with reproach. And it's not going to be popular. It's nothing we have to fear. If you study history, this happens. It's, it's in some ways seems cyclical. And the beauty of it is there, I think, nominal Christianity will just disappear. Meaning someone who says they're a Christian in name only but doesn't want to maybe suffer the reproach for Christ. As it gets hotter, 
that will go away. And remember, we're on a dangerous journey, so we have our backpacks on. We're, we're climbing up. We're traversing to, to, to that destination, which is to be with the Lord forever. There may come some reproach. There may come some persecution. We want to walk humbly. We want to be kind. We want to be loving to those who disagree or see things differently. But we also want to share the love of Christ with those that mock us. I have such a heart for mockers of Christianity because I was a mocker of Christianity. I remember taking a, understanding the Bible class at IUP and smoking a foreign substance and standing up on a chair in my, my friend Jim's apartment and preaching the Bible that we had to read for homework and just making fun of TV evangelist preachers. I didn't believe anything that was in this book. And I made fun of those who did. And you know what the Lord did? He has a sense of humor. He opened my eyes. He immediately gave me a desire to tell other people about Jesus. And he wants to do that over and over and over again. So we never want to be arrogant, but we want to be bold. And we have the good news that is the hope of the world. So let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't, don't take side roads of kind of obscure teaching about the Bible or about Jesus that come from the History Channel or other sources that are not this book. Stay in this book. Keep your eyes centered on Jesus. Endure with a disposition to do good to others. One way to endure is to do good to others, to be mindful of others. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you got gas this week, you notice the price of gas is way up. If you went grocery shopping this week, you notice the price of groceries are way up. If you did anything that costs money this week, you notice that things are going up. Well, with that can, can come a, a temptation to preserve and hold on tight to the things like we're the provider for ourselves rather than the Lord. And in times of, of difficulty or, or pressure, for followers of Jesus, it's an opportunity to be countercultural from the impulses of human nature and our world. And one way to display this is to be lavish in doing good to others and to share what you have with others. If you feel the, your grip getting tighter on the things that you have and, you, and you, you, you feel fear for that, my remedy for you is, is to spend a lot of time this week in Matthew chapter 6, particularly the, the second half of the chapter. So if that's you, that's your homework. Look at Matthew 6. But one of the things that the Lord does when he saves us is he gives us a heart for others. We want to help others. We want to do good to others. Those who need help. Those who are in tough spots. Those who maybe are in tough spots because they deserve to be in the tough spots because of their situation. And yet we're to move towards them in mercy because God moved towards us in 
mercy. Endure with a disposition to do good to others. Number eight, endure with a heart submitted to the Lord and the word that is preached. This is verse 17. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And the, the idea here isn't to blindly follow a pastor. That's not the idea. The idea is to submit to the preached word that faithful pastors are working hard to teach you, to point you to, like the author of Hebrews. He is faithfully pastor. A faithful pastor believes that one day we have to give an account, not just for our own thoughts and actions, but were we faithful to those God has entrusted to our care as pastors. That's a sober thing. And, and what, what this passage is calling is that Christians submit to the preached word that's taught by faithful pastors. One of my favorite ver verses or section of verses on pastoring in the whole Bible is in 1 Peter chapter 5. This is what he writes. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So every church, local and universal, belongs to God, purchased by the blood of Christ. It belongs to no man. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not domineering, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We're not perfect pastors, but we're seeking to follow Christ and submit to his word and hopefully be an example. And when the chief shepherd comes, literally the chief pastor comes, who is Jesus, when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Close yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's the kind of pastors you're to submit to and follow who, who work hard to rightly handle this book. Number nine. I told you we'd make it. Endure with persevering prayer for those given to gospel ministry. Endure with persevering prayer. In other words, pray for those who preach and teach God's word. That might be in pastoral ministry. That might be in campus ministry. That may be in missionaries. That may be in local Bible studies. Pray for those who are giving their time and energy to teach others about the Lord. Verse 18, pray for us, he says, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you, the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sinner. So it sounds like he, he personally was in some serious difficulty. But what would it be like if every missionary that we know, every campus minister, and we have a number or part of our church who are on campus at IUP, know that there is a church committed to praying for them 
by name, to praying for the students that they are seeking to spend time with by name, for those who are overseas, knowing that we are praying for them by name. If you're a little fuzzy on who are our missionaries that we support, you can go to our website and, and see that, or you can go out in the lobby. There's a big display out there. You just grab one of those brochures and, and just start praying by name. One of the things that's unique about the town of Indiana is, or the county is we have a lot of faithful churches and church leaders in our area who really believe this book and are committed to preaching this book. You're going to interact with a number of them at the Good Friday service if you're, you're able to make it. But let's commit not just to pray for Saving Grace Church leaders, but to pray for all the local leaders that are in our area that love this word and teach and preach it faithfully. If you're wondering who they are, you can talk to me or you can go to the Commonplace because it seems like half the people at the Commonplace coffee shop are the different Christian leaders in our community. <laughs> Don't judge, they're working. They're meeting with people, they're reading the Bible, they're studying. All right, so pray, be committed to pray. That helps, that, you, that image of, of that, that rock face where they're climbing up. Imagine all those people strung out. Imagine if, if that's just the Christian leaders and you're praying by name one after another for them. The Lord would preserve them, protect them, encourage them, bless them, care for them, keep their hearts right before the Lord. And the final one, endure with confidence in our faithful God. Our hope that we're going to make it to heaven is not in our ability to unload rocks out of our backpack. It's not in our ability to do good to others. It is ultimately in the faithfulness of the living God who made heaven and earth. Look at verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Remember, Jesus hung and bled on the cross as a substitute for our sins. He was buried, put in the grave, sealed. On the third day, he rose to life, conquering sin and death, proving that God the Father accepted his payment for sins. That means no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you've turned to Jesus, he will forgive you, wash you, cleanse you. That, that's good news, and that is our hope. goes on to say, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Imagine backpack on again. The Lord just keeps filling it up like, oh, I thought I ran out of food. Oh, no, I didn't run out of food. There's more in there. I thought I ran out of supplies. Oh, there's more supplies. Like this endless fountain of supplies working in us that, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep running to him. Keep trusting in him. We do not have to fear if you are a believer in Jesus, if you will make it to the end. You will make it to the end if you follow and trust in King Jesus. This week in my, my Bible reading, I came across this familiar passage from Joshua. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's even true if this feels like a painful chiropractic visit where you know your life is just way out of whack. And this is, you feel like the Lord's just really pushing hard. And you know if you're really going to respond, you have to make some big, hard decisions. There are certain things you have to repent of. You have to turn from. You have to give up. And there's a, there's a risk there. The Lord is going to help you. And you will never regret putting Jesus above all else. The author then just wraps up the letter that the band can come up as I read this. He says in verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. In other words, the whole of Hebrews, listen to it, believe it, apply it. For I've written to you briefly. And then he says, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, so answer prayer. He was in prison, now he's released. With whom I shall see, he shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all the leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send their greetings. Grace be with all of you. Learning to run this race of endurance is going to be by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's stand, I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing a final song in response, and then at the end, the prayer team will be up here too. We would love to pray with you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would highlight and illuminate very specific truths from this chapter that would help and would free and would encourage those who are stuck and those who feel ensnared and those who feel hopeless and discouraged. Lord, would you give them hope and grace and strength today? And we will give you all the glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.